crossroads and the future is completely within our control. We're living through the single biggest culture shift of our time. This is the time for us to just really take charge. That's what revolutions do. They enable the impossible. Who doesn't want to be remembered? We all work at our marketing to create memorable content. But Carmen Simon, author of Impossible to Ignore, has practical, research-driven insights to how to create better and more memorable content. Let's learn from her research on today's episode. I'm Kit Bodner, and this is The Growth Show. I want to talk about a bunch of different things with you today. One of the the interesting things. So, you know, your book is really about creating memorable content. So, I think the most logical place to start is how does how does memory actually work? You know, before you even think about content, how do you understand how memory works? <laughs> so, imagine looking at the world around you uh, right now as you're sitting here at a desk perhaps you're seeing a microphone all sorts of recording devices or perhaps you have uh, my book and a few others I do. you're taking in the world with your uh, with your senses and uh, that sensory memory is very short-lived a few fraction of a second and it's uh, it's gone unless you're Sherlock Holmes, in which case you're taking in the world a bit more deeply. This is why people are teaching meditation and being present, and one of the consequences for that to memory is that your senses are more acute, and therefore you're observing more. Just by looking doesn't necessarily mean that you will remember, for, for example. But let's just say that a few pieces of stimuli will still stay in your uh, memory for a bit longer. Now it goes into a short-term repository, even that is short-lived. For smart people like you, perhaps as you're looking at the world around you, you may hold in your short-term memory. Some things are about 30 seconds, 40 seconds. Some really smart people might hold that piece of information for about two minutes, no more than that. After which, that is gone, unless you start rehearsing things and repeating stuff and going over stuff over and over. And in that case, you have then the luxury of long-term memory. And that can last hours and days and weeks and sometimes things that um, you remember for a lifetime. There's a lot of people creating content out there. How do you change what you're doing in your content creation to actually make that content more memorable and to actually influence people and to do what you want them to do? The uh, process that I just outlined was describing memory in terms of its duration. And from a marketer's perspective, it, uh, you would have to ask the question, how long do I want to stay on people's mind? Uh, for example, give me a, an example of a decision that you made recently, small or, or big, it doesn't matter. Uh, I, w- I was trying to decide what I was going to have for lunch. Aha, uh-huh. and uh, what did you go with? Uh, I had cereal, and it was one of the cereals I grew up eating as a kid. And uh, as a res- so you had cereal for lunch? Yeah, yeah, it's been a busy day. So <laughs> we've got we've got a, a, an awesome cereal selection here at a, at HubSpot. So I ran down and, and grabbed a bowl of cereal. Oh, I love it. Well, you just said the key words that I really enjoy. You said that it's a cereal type that you, you used to enjoy as a kid. So notice how memories, in this case, a really long-term memory, uh, influences the decision that you're making right now. And it's no different for all, all of our audiences. You want to stay on people's minds in order for them to decide in your favor. 
Now, that decision and that memory that you're feeding doesn't have to be that long-lasting. Sometimes you only want people to focus on something that you've written, maybe a blog that you posted for a few minutes, and simply leave them with a positive feeling as a result of that, not necessarily with a precise memory. So from that regard, we can look at memories a little bit um, from a different angle, not necessarily how long they last, but the type of memories that we aspire towards. And from that angle, a long-term memory, we, we can qualify it as something that is explicit, so people can put into words, or something that is implicit and something that comes more, more automatic and you don't necessarily put into words, like the way that you ride your bicycle. The more that you put that into words, the worse your bicycle riding becomes. Mm-hmm. And uh, when it comes to your explicit memories, even those are further subdivided, so there are some uh, episodic memories that we have, and the, those are things that happened to you in the past. This is why storytelling is so critical, and uh, that's where that episodic memory is based on. And so let's just say that you had a vacation, an amazing vacation in Paris, and a few things took place there. Or maybe you went to Vegas, and you I know what just happened in Vegas. Vegas. <laughs> For a <laughs> wedding. It's, it's, it's just it's true. And so what what happened there stayed there, but if you were forced to tell us a few things, you could probably come up with those memories fairly easily because they're intense and vivid. Yeah, I had a great weekend. It was a wedding. It was awesome. Yeah, I can tell you all about it. Yeah, Yeah, see? not You wouldn't have a hard time. But if I were to ask you how many people were in the room at that wedding and uh, what were their names, all of them, and um, what time did they come in? What time did they leave? All sorts of factual information, which is your semantic memory, your general knowledge of the world. How many people live in Vegas, for instance? All of those pieces of information go into a different repository. In order for that to stay in our minds for a longer uh, term, we need a lot of exposure and repetition of those compared to storytelling, which sometimes, if you're exposed to a really solid wedding, for instance, in that episode, you'll remember that a lot more than the population of Vegas. So, so, so to follow up to that, let me ask you a question. You know, there's probably somebody out there listening to this and thinking, would I be better off to have that short, snackable, low-brain-energy-consuming piece of content? Should I, would I be better off getting 10 of those in front of somebody? Or would mm-hmm. I be better off to get one of those more in-depth pieces of content that you were just talking about? Like, what's... What's the preference there? Because some would argue one is easier than the other and, and so forth. But like in a perfect <laughs> world, what would you do? I would consider a combination. And um, if we think about the fact that quite often memory happens because you have attention first, we tend to remember more that to which we pay attention, then something that is uh, small and uh, easily manageable might attract better attention at first. And once you have your audience's attention with a few of these uh, snackable pieces, then you might provide something that is uh, more in-depth because now you have a relationship. The brain can trust that even though it will give you a little bit more energy, you will keep it rewarded because in addition for the brain to looking to conserve energy, it will constantly look for rewards as well. A short bite of a content is, is good. And why is that? Because the reward gets delivered right away. I'm also hoping, by the way, that all of these pieces we're talking about are good quality. So of that, course, of course. We're, we're going <laughs> to assume that for sure. Yes. 
So assuming this is not the equivalent of uh, fried Twinkies, it's uh, <laughs> the equivalent of like a, a delicious small piece of ripe mango that you're giving your customers and the cognitive equivalent of that. So after we lure, in, lure them in with all these small pieces that are still nutritious and they deliver a solid reward right away, then you have a strong relationship and if the brain can anticipate the reward, then it will stay with you longer. This is why you can afford to now go to into a more in-depth piece. So now you may have a longer blog. Now you may have a, a few articles you can send them. Now you might even have a book that you you hope that people will read. What happens? You, you've done created some piece of content, and you've created some length of time where someone remembers you. But mm-hmm. and you fall out of that window of time. How do you get them to recall you? So they've they've known you at some point. They they've interacted with you, they had that memory, but it's, it's gone too long. And how do, how do you make that recall happen as a marketer? Mm. I really like what you're saying because um, a lot of times we have to realize that whenever we interact with an audience and we share a piece of content, whatever that content might be, maybe it's a slide share or a marketing campaign or a blog, there, there's a chance for people to remember the content, but what you also hope for is that they will remember the source. And the two are, are, are separate. And what happens is if we don't do a good job at linking the content with the source, then you're absolutely right. The audience can forget one or the other or both, unfortunately. <laughs> so, for example, let's just say that you created something that's brilliant. If they remember the content but not the source, later on in weeks or days or, or months, they could say, oh, I just uh, really enjoy that piece of content from... And then they give credit to somebody else. Mm-hmm. And that just really hurts the ego because you put so much effort. <laughs> such a bummer, you know? <laughs> like, it no, sure is. So lesson number one is make sure that you constantly link whatever you're creating to you. You are the source. And um, that's where distinctiveness has to happen as well. Because if what you're creating could have been said by other similar sources, then the brain after a while won't distinguish between who said what. Let's just uh, take a field of, um, um, let's go with predictive analytics. It's a, it's a hot topic these days. Everybody talks about it. And if you go on the IBM website, you'll see some remarks. And, and if you go to SAP, you'll, you'll see some things. And if you were to take the logos out and those paragraphs still stay, I've been doing some research on this and realizing then that a company makes a statement and doesn't even know it's their own statement. They will believe that it was somebody else who said it. Crossroads and the future is completely within our control. We're living through the single biggest culture shift of our time. This is the time for us to just really take charge. That's what revolutions do. They enable the impossible. Who doesn't want to be remembered? We all work at our marketing to create memorable content. But Carmen Simon, author of Impossible to Ignore, has practical, research-driven insights to how to create better and more memorable content. Let's learn from her research on today's episode. I'm Kit Bodner, and this is The Growth Show. I want to talk about a bunch of different things with you today. One of the the interesting thing. So, you know, your book is really about creating memorable content. So, 
I think the most logical place to start is how does how does memory actually work? You know, before you even think about content, how do you understand how memory works? <laughs> so imagine looking at the world around you uh, right now as you're sitting here at a desk perhaps you're seeing a microphone all sorts of recording devices or perhaps you have uh, my book and a few others I do. you're taking in the world with your uh, with your senses and uh, that sensory memory is very short-lived a few fraction of a second and it's uh, it's gone unless you're Sherlock Holmes, in which case you're taking in the world a bit more deeply. This is why people are teaching meditation and being present, and one of the consequences for that to memory is that your senses are more acute, and therefore you're observing more. Just by looking doesn't necessarily mean that you will remember, for, for example. But let's just say that a few pieces of stimuli will still stay in your uh, memory for a bit longer. Now it goes into a short-term repository, even that is short-lived. For smart people like you, perhaps as you're looking at the world around you, you may hold in your short-term memory. Some things are about 30 seconds, 40 seconds. Some really smart people might hold that piece of information for about two minutes, no more than that. After which, that is gone, unless you start rehearsing things and repeating stuff and going over stuff over and over. And in that case, you have then the luxury of long-term memory. And that can last hours and days and weeks and sometimes things that um, you remember for a lifetime. There's a lot of people creating content out there. How do you change what you're doing in your content creation to actually make that content more memorable and to actually influence people and to do what you want them to do? The uh, process that I just outlined was describing memory in terms of its duration. And from a marketer's perspective, it, uh, you would have to ask the question, how long do I want to stay on people's mind? Uh, for example, give me a, an example of a decision that you made recently, small or, or big, it doesn't matter. Uh, I, w- I was trying to decide what I was going to have for lunch. Aha, uh-huh. and uh, what did you go with? Uh, I had cereal, and it was one of the cereals I grew up eating as a kid. And uh, as a res- so you had cereal for lunch? Yeah, yeah, it's been a busy day. So <laughs> we've got we've got a, a, an awesome cereal selection here at a, at HubSpot. So I ran down and, and grabbed a bowl of cereal. Oh, I love it. Well, you just said the key words that I really enjoy. You said that it's a cereal type that you, you used to enjoy as a kid. So notice how memories, in this case, a really long-term memory, uh, influences the decision that you're making right now. And it's no different for our, all of our audiences. You want to stay on people's minds in order for them to decide in your favor. Now, that decision and that memory that you're feeding doesn't have to be that long-lasting. Sometimes you only want people to focus on something that you've written, maybe a blog that you posted for a few minutes, and simply leave them with a positive feeling as a result of that, not necessarily with a precise memory. So from that regard, we can look at memories a little bit um, from a different angle, not necessarily how long they last, but the type of memories that we aspire towards. And from that angle, a long-term memory, we, we can qualify it as something that is explicit, so people can put into words, or something that is implicit and something that comes more, uh, more automatic and you don't necessarily put into words. Like the way that you ride your bicycle, the more that you put that into words, the worse your bicycle riding becomes. Mm-hmm. And uh, when it comes to your explicit memories, even those are further subdivided, so there are some uh, episodic memories that we have, and the, those are things that happened to you in the past. 
this is why storytelling is so critical, and uh, that's where that episodic memory is based on. And so let's just say that you had a vacation, an amazing vacation in Paris, and a few things took place there. Or maybe you went to Vegas, and you I know was what just happened in, in Vegas, Vegas. <laughs> for a <laughs> wedding. It's 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 just it's true. And so what what happened there stayed there. But if you were forced to tell us a few things, you could probably come up with those memories fairly easily because they're really intense and vivid. Yeah, and I had a great weekend. It was a wedding. It was awesome. Memory. Yeah, I can tell you all about it. Yeah. Yeah, see, not you wouldn't have a hard time. But if I were to ask you how many people were in the room at that wedding and uh, what were their names, all of them, and um, what time did they come in, and what time did they leave, all sorts of factual information, which is your semantic memory, your general knowledge of the world, how many people live in Vegas, for instance, all of those pieces of information go into a different repository. In order for that to stay in our minds for a longer uh, term, we need a lot of exposure and repetition of those compared to storytelling, which sometimes if you're exposed to a really solid wedding, for instance, in that episode, you'll remember that a lot more than the population of Vegas. So, so, so follow up to that. Let me ask you a question. You know, there's probably somebody out there listening to this and thinking, would I be better off to have that short, snackable, low brain energy consuming piece of content should I, would i be better off getting 10 of those in front of somebody or would mm-hmm. i be better off to get one of those more in-depth pieces of content that you were just talking about like what's what's the preference there because some would argue one is easier than the other and, and so forth but like in a perfect <laughs> world what would you do I would consider a combination, and um, if we think about the fact that quite often memory happens because you have attention first, we tend to remember more that to which we pay attention, then something that is uh, small and uh, easily manageable might attract better attention at first. And once you have your audience's attention with a few of these uh, snackable pieces, then you might provide something that is uh, more in-depth because now you have a relationship the brain can trust that even though it will give you a little bit more energy, you will keep it rewarded because in addition for the brain to looking to conserve energy, it will constantly look for rewards as well. A short bite of a content is, is good. And why is that? Because the reward gets delivered right away. I'm also hoping, by the way, that all of these pieces we're talking about are good quality. So of that, course, of course. We're, we're going we're gonna <laughs> to assume that for sure. Yes. So assuming this is not the equivalent of uh, fried Twinkies, it's uh, <laughs> the equivalent of like a, a delicious small piece of ripe mango that you're giving your customers and the cognitive equivalent of that. So after we lure, in, lure them in with all these small pieces that are still nutritious and they deliver a solid reward right away, then you have a strong relationship and if the brain can anticipate the reward, then it will stay with you longer. This is why you can afford to now go to into a more in-depth piece. So now you may have a longer blog. Now you may have a, a few articles you can send them. Now you might even have a book that you you hope that people will read. What happens? You, you've done created some piece of content, and you've created some length of time where someone remembers you. But mm-hmm. and you fall out of that window of time. How do you get them to recall you? So they've they've known you at some point. They they've interacted with you, they had that memory, but it's, it's gone too long. And how do, how do you make that recall happen as a marketer? Mm. I really like what you're saying because a lot of times we have to realize that whenever we interact with an audience, 
and we share a piece of content, whatever that content might be, maybe it's a slide share or a marketing campaign or a blog, there's a chance for people to remember the content, but what you also hope for, that they will remember the source. And the two are, are, are separate. And what happens is if we don't do a good job at linking the content with the source, then you're absolutely right. The audience can forget one or the other or both, unfortunately. <laughs> so, for example, let's just say they created something that's brilliant. If they remember the content but not the source, later on in weeks or days or, or months, they could say, oh, I just uh, really enjoy that piece of content from and then they give credit to somebody else. Mm-hmm. And that just really hurts the ego because you put so much effort. <laughs> such a bummer, you know? <laughs> like, it no, sure is. So lesson number one is make sure that you constantly link whatever you're creating to you. You are the source. And um, that's where distinctiveness has to happen as well because if what you're creating could have been said by other similar sources, then the brain after a while won't distinguish between who said what. Let's just uh, take a field of, um, um, let's go with predictive analytics. It's a, it's a hot topic these days. Everybody talks about it. And if you go on the IBM website, you'll see some remarks. And if you go to SAP, you'll, you'll see some things. And if you were to take the logos out and those paragraphs still stay, I've been doing some research on this and realizing then that a company makes a statement and doesn't even know it's their own statement. They will believe that it was somebody else who said it. So lesson number one, make sure you link the, the content with the source. Lesson number two in answering your question is if a lot of time has elapsed between you being in touch with your audience, then start with what we were talking about earlier. Recapture the attention with something that does not take the brain a long time to process, something that comes natural, something that is reflexive, something that is uh, is habitual. Yeah, you've talked a lot about habits, and there's like it seems like there's a fine line between providing consistent, rewarding content experience versus having somebody actually habituate to the message that you want, really adopt it. Like, how does how does that all work? How do you find that balance? So if we're talking about memory as the root of all decision-making, then when we look at how does the brain decide, how do we know what to do next? How do we know what to say next? How do we know what to look at next? The brain follows one of these three routes. One is reflexive, which is what we were just talking about. And uh, we know how to react instantly and what to do next, given a sweet taste, for instance, or bitter taste, or odors, or temperatures, or sex or altruism or youthfulness or flowers. You cannot react to them. Uh, Controlling your environment, which is what the ad that I was just mentioning. So there are some uh, memories that are already given, they're innate, and they already dictate what the brain will do next. The second one is habitual, and this is what you're reflecting to. So after we have been performing specific acts for a while and the reward is already given and we've learned it, then those those decisions come naturally, so to speak. They're conscious at first, but after a while, they become subconscious, very much like uh, like reflexes. So if you have the choice between making people think and, and not think, hooking something into their habits is definitely the way to go. And the third route towards decision-making is a goal-oriented one. That's where you're now making people think. So, for instance, if you're saying, hey, your job before didn't pay you that much, check out this website, 
or if um, you're, you may have been in a, the same position for a while, it's now time for a promotion, check out these opportunities. All of those options take a lot more thinking power. So it's not that the brain will not change its mind in light of new information. It will, but it just has to have enough willpower and energy to do so. So whenever you're crafting a message from a marketing perspective, always ask this question, is there some reflexive, thing that I can hook into or some existing habit that I can hook into versus appealing to people's goals. Because quite often people go for goals first and habits second. So there's a lot of what we've talked about so far is based on the idea that your your audience wants to spend more and more time with you. Uh, you gave a good example in your book about a wine tasting company. Um, but what about brands and, and companies that people just don't want to spend more time with one be done with a good example is like taxes. You know, if you are, if it's tax time, you want to get your taxes done and move on. How should mm-hmm. those types of brands, those kind of one time, maybe associated with negative habits or memories, uh, think about content? Mm-hmm. So whenever you're asking the brain to, to make a decision, especially if you're now you're taxing its, its cognitive resources. So now it have to, it has to expand energy. There are several variables that come into play. First, you're thinking about effort. Like, is it going to take me a long time to get these darn taxes done? Then you're, you're thinking about the delay of the reward. Like, if I, if I engage in something that you're proposing to me, how much time will it elapse before I get rewarded? And uh, how long is the whole task going to last anyway? And also, is it going to be, give me some social benefits? So if I spend time and effort with you, and if uh, the delay there's a delay in the reward, at least do I get some social satisfaction in the sense of when I tell all of my friends about what just happened, they're going to look at me differently. So notice how you have these uh, these variables that are, are going on. So for a product that is tax-related, the more it announces to people that, look, this will take you just uh, two minutes, zero effort. You've seen those commercials, oh, by yeah, the way, for uh, TurboTax. For sure. <laughs> Where it doesn't take a genius to, uh, to <laughs> complete your taxes. And they invite all of these uh, geniuses on. So that's, that's a nice campaign because it alludes to something that the brain already needs for something that it thinks it might need the energy for, which is uh, assure me that this is not going to take a long time and I'm going to receive the reward right away. And uh, I think TurboTax did a, a really good job advertising that. And besides, I, when I brag to my friends about things that I do, if I tell them that, uh, hey, why pay somebody else when I can get this done on my own, then I get some social currency as a result of that also. Okay. That's so a, for that's products that are not so sexy, yeah, for products that are not so sexy, like um, a dental floss or uh, taxes or uh, some software applications, or let's, let's just say accounting, for instance, if we're talking about taxes, just uh, appeal to the brain in the sense of effort that is involved, the time to do it, the delay before the, the reward is given, and social currency you get as a result of engaging in that, uh, in that act. So before I let you go, uh, you know, what's, what strikes me is that, you know, you've, you've written this great book. You're out, I know, doing a bunch of presentations around it. And you've done a lot of research on neuroscience and persuasion, uh, persuading people and how, how that actually all works. 
How have you experienced that firsthand in your presentations? What, what, are, what are some of the secrets you can share with us that you've done in your presentation to, presentations to make those better? I would recommend for anyone creating any kind of communication artifact, whether it's a presentation or marketing campaign or a blog, to first and foremost ask the question, what do I want to leave on people's minds? If you aspire at memorable content, the most important thing to ask is, what do I want to put in other people's brains? And um, that question, as easy as it sounds, it will take some time just because to get to the essence is quite often uh, not the easiest thing that you do. And uh, be prepared to spend a little bit of time, especially if you aspire at long-term memory, as we were talking about. Because it's it's very easy to stay on people's minds short-term. But when you aspire to be there for a while, that's, uh, that's where the effort is, has to be spent. And I'll give you an example. Just yesterday, I was uh, consulting with someone, and uh, this person was saying, I want a message that uh, becomes memorable long-term. And my philosophy about memory is that you have to create a message in such a way that when you're no longer in the room or people no longer read what you wrote, there are triggers in their environment at point B later on, two days from now, two weeks from now, two years from now, that may still remind them of that memory. So this person uh, is dealing in the fitness uh, space, and mm-hmm. he initially wanted to have this message of um, fit, strong, lethal. So those were his three key words, and he wanted to associate his content with those. Fit, strong, lethal. I kind of like that combination initially just because the lethal word at the end breaks the pattern. So fit and strong is something that is predictable and expectable mm-hmm. in the fitness world. Lethal, it just kind of gets your attention. It's also related to survival, and words that are related to survival tend to be more memorable. But I felt like at point B, so if we're communicating here at point A, at point B later on, there wouldn't be any environmental triggers that will remind somebody of this of this message. So I provided an alternative, which is keep it tight. So notice how much more portable that phrase is. And if you have a portable phrase, that means there will be more environmental triggers to cue that memory. Because keep it tight is a um, salutation phrase these days among certain groups. Uh, you can use keep it tight not only in the fitness realm, mm-hmm. but also in some other fields. Like even if you wrote poetry right now, I could say to you, keep, keep it tight. Uh, so the more portable that message is, the longer term you can aspire at memory in your audience's minds. You know what? I think you've left us all today with some really awesome advice around messaging. And messaging is hard. And how do you think about content and how do you think about positioning and messaging your business, even a blog article, is really, really challenging. I really appreciate it. I recommend uh, for folks who want to learn more, check out your book, Impossible to Ignore. Uh, Carmen, it has been awesome, awesome, awesome to have you on the show today. Thank you so much for your time. Refer a friend to subscribe to this podcast, and you can be featured in an episode. If you refer five friends to subscribe to the show, you'll get a shout-out in our weekly email newsletter. Refer 10, I'll give you a shout-out on our next episode. 20, you get a featured segment on the next episode. And if you refer 100 friends, you get the entire episode to yourself. That's right, 100 referrals, and you become the guest. 
tell them to subscribe to the show in their favorite podcast app, then head over to bit.ly slash TGS Refer a Friend to give you credit for the referral.